It's nighttime in the big city. The worst has already happened. The well-dressed couple lean on the balcony. They laugh as they sip martinis. It's theme time radio hour with your host, Bob Dylan. Welcome once again to Theme Time Radio Hour. Let me ask you a few questions, friends. Are you disinterested in work or family life? Do you suffer from sleep disruption? Have you had significant changes in appetite? Have you had paranoid thoughts? Thoughts of grandeur or invincibility? Any feelings of persistent anxiety or perhaps panic attacks? Are you hearing voices or seeing people who are not there? Do you have thoughts of dying? Do you exhibit strong or violent anger? Do you have the inability to pursue a normal life, normal activities, or normal relationships? Well, I'm no doctor, but perhaps you're mad as a hatter, crazy as a loon. Have you lost your marbles? Are your bats in the belfry? Maybe you're nutty as a fruitcake, crazy as a goot, taxed in the head, bunkers, bananas, deranged. Are your crackers a daffy? I'm hinged or local. Not all there, or all around the bend. Maybe you're cuckoo or buggy, or simply non-compass mentis. Do you talk to yourself? Do you ever binge out on food? Do you swing suddenly from one mood to another? Do vague acquaintances treat you as though they know you far better than you would expect? Allen Ginsberg once said that he had seen the best minds of his generation destroyed by madness. Now for the next hour, we'll be providing a soundtrack. We're going to look at madness, insanity, and craziness. And if craziness was a continent, this would be the national anthem. That's Patsy Klein and a little number written by Willie Nelson. Crazy. Crazy. I'm crazy for feeling so lonely. Crazy for feeling so blue I knew you'd love me as long as you wanted And then someday you'd leave me for somebody And I'm crazy for love 
He sort of looked at me and smiled and whispered in my ear, I'm nuts about screwing music. I'm screwy about nutty rhythm. I'm dilly over all silly melodies, crazy as a loon can be. I'm daffy about goofy tempo. I'm goofy about daffy changes. I'm dippy over all dizzy harmony written in a minor key. I love to hear sounds that are queer. I'm eccentric, they say. There's a boot in a flute or a mellow moaning cello. I'm nuts about screwy music. I'm screwy about nutty rhythm. I'm dilly over all silly melodies, crazy as a loon can be. about screwy music. One guy who was so nuts about screwy music that he invented his own instruments and his own scale was a guy named Harry Podge. He was born in Oakland and his parents were Presbyterian missionaries in China. When they returned to the States, they took young Harry all around the country where he soaked up all sorts of influences. He learned many instruments as a child and he quickly became dissatisfied with the limited system of Western music tuning. As a declaration of his independence, he gathered up all the music he had written, music he said was based on the tyranny of the piano and the 12-tone scale. He burned it in a big iron stove. He began to build instruments and eventually created the 43-tone scale. He would color code the instruments by painting and numbering the tones to fit his unique scale. I'm gonna tell you about a couple of his instruments. One of the first was the adapted viola. A viola with an extended fingerboard that's played between the knees. In 1945, he created two chromalodeons. These were reed pump organs with total ranges of more than five musical octaves. There was the Mazda Marimba and the Zimo Exel, where sound is created by suspending liquor bottles, hubcaps, and shell cases and striking them. And the most fragile of all of his instruments were the cloud chamber bowls. He took Pyrex, chemical solution dyes, cut them in half, suspended them on a rack, and hit them with soft mallets. Harry Potch was a volatile person, unrestrained and uncompromising. Some people thought him schizophrenic. When he passed away in 1974, he left a legacy of 30 musical instruments and devised complex theories of intonation and performance. Eddie Cochran was born in Minnesota, but he migrated to Southern California in about 1950. By 1956, he could be seen in the movie The Girl Can't Help It, singing 20 Flat Rock. He made a number of records with the Liberty label, pretty much all of them gems. 
This one fits with this week's subject of madness, as it talks about that condition that was kind of a catch-all for all sorts of disorders. Here's Eddie Cochran in Nervous Breakdown. I'm a having a nervous breakdown A mental shakedown I see my hands out of shiver Woo! I see my knees out of quiver My whole body's in a tiver I'm a having a nervous breakdown originated in England, and one of the earliest ones was Richard Stoughton's Elixir, all the way back in 1712. They became more popular in the 1800s here in the States, where salesmen would travel with medicine shows, sell them their tonics in between acts. Lydia E. Pinkham had her portrait on her vegetable compound. It was first marketed in 1875, and she became one of the most recognized women in America. There were the Kilmer brothers, Andrew and Jonas, grandfathers to Val, they moved to Binghamton, New York in 1879 and started selling their swamp root kidney and liver medicine. There was old Dr. Kaufman's great sulfur bitters. And a lot of these were a good way to get around the temperance laws. They had a high alcohol content, but they were sold for medicinal use only. Perhaps the most famous one is the one whose name has become synonymous with phony medical quackery. It was started by a cowboy by the name of Clark Stanley. He called himself the Rattlesnake King and sold snake oil liniment that was supposedly good for man and beast. He said it cures frostbites, bruises, sore throats, the bites of animals, insects, or reptile. It's good for every living thing a liniment should be good for. Step right up and buy a bottle now, folks. Next up, James Brown from his live at the Apollo record. 
He had to convince Sid Nathan to let him make it. He said that no one could really appreciate him until they seen his live show. Sid didn't think anyone would buy a live album, but James finally did convince him, but he had to pay for it himself. It was the best $5,700 James Brown ever spent. 66 weeks on the Billboard Top 100 charts. Here's James Brown, and I'll go crazy. was James Brown and his famous flames, I'll Go Crazy. You know, celebrities who've had to go away for a while is not a new phenomenon. Ernest Hemingway, for example, was convinced that people were out to assassinate him. His wife, Mary, tricked him into a mental hospital by telling him it was to treat his high blood pressure. He got shock therapy and maybe a dozen other treatments. It didn't help. He left him more paranoid, delusional, and depressed. He was afraid that his wife was going to put him away again which many people believe is what led him to take his own life with a shotgun in July of 61. Charlie Mingus spent some time away, though he later claimed that he'd only gone in to get papers declaring himself incompetent to get out of a contract with Joey Gallo. Whatever the reason, he spent some time in Bellevue and was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. You probably all know the stories of Rocky Erickson and Sid Barrett, but you might not know the stories of Bud Powell and Charlie Parker. Both are great jazz musicians, and both were troubled by demons. Bud Powell had over 40 treatments of shock therapy, and his piano playing never recovered from him. Charlie Parker was a long-time junkie, and on July 29, 1946, he fell asleep while smoking and set his hotel bed on fire. 
He wandered through the hotel lobby wearing nothing but socks. He was arrested by the LAPD for indecent exposure, resisting arrest, and arson. He was eventually transferred to Camarillo State Hospital to take a so-called rest cure. It was there that he wrote the song, Relaxing at Camarillo, which we're enjoying right now. didn't take with Charlie Parker. When he got out, he returned to drinking and drugging. He died in 1955 from drug-related pneumonia and an ulcer. Oh, if you don't mind, we never use words here like nuts, bugs, screwy, goofy, loony. We'd like it very much if you didn't use them either. I'm sorry, I'm a greenhorn inmate. You're a patient, not an inmate. This is an insane asylum, is it not? Not exactly. This is a mental hospital and we're dealing with mental hygiene. This is Theme Time Radio Hour, and we're talking about madness. I'm almost frightened to go to the phones, but I think we should. Hello, caller, you're on the air. Hey, Bob, I'm enjoying the madness show. Well, thanks a lot. What's your name and where are you calling from? My name's Helena Discar, and I'm calling from Raleigh, West Virginia. Well, what can I do for you, Helena? Well, I got a problem with this guy I work with. He never shows me any respect. He's two-faced. He says one thing to me, and another thing to everyone else. He talks loudly. He takes the last bagel in the break room. And he doesn't like Catholics. Are you a Catholic, Elena? No, but I believe in live and let live. Okay, what can I do for you? Up to now, I've been biting my tongue. I can't stand the guy, but I gotta work with him. I'm not gonna rock the boat. I get so mad, I find myself yelling in the mirror. I figure I can't be good. What should I do? Well, Helena, I gotta tell you, you're skating on some pretty thin ice. Repressed anger is nothing to mess with. If a person represses their anger, they tend to develop passive aggression. This typically consists of sarcasm, criticism, you can blame others, you could be withholding and controlling. The person, even though they're radiating strong or violent anger, will not even admit that they are angry. I've seen that before. Take my advice, Helena. Step up to that guy and give me your honest opinion. He might not like you, but it sounds like it's no great loss. Your mirror will thank you, and you'll sleep better at night. Well, thanks a lot, Bob. That seems like good advice. Hey, can you please talk for me before I go? Well, is it about craziness? You betcha. It's Madness by Prince Buster. I'll be glad to, Helena. Go give him hell. Thanks a lot, Bob. Thanks for calling. So here he is, Prince Buster and Madness.
group got their name. One man who was no stranger to madness was Bill Gaines. He was the editor for EC Comics. It's a gas! He had a series of horror comics in the 50s. He was targeted by the government who said that his comics were ruining the morals of America's young people. He was forced to water down all of his books. He had one humor comic called Mad. He changed it to a magazine so it wouldn't be subject to the comics code of authority became a huge hit and generations of kids got their first lessons in comedy from the usual gang of idiots that he assembled. He never sold advertising in the magazine while he was alive and there were no sacred cows. Bill Gaines, madman of free speech. This is Theme Time Radio Hour and we talked about crazy people. People in mood swings sometimes suffer from bipolar disorder. In bipolar disorder, each mood swing is called an episode. There are four main ones. There's depression, there's mania, that's the upside, where you think you can do anything. There's hypomania, and that's a milder form of mania. And the fourth one is mixed mood. That's when you go back and forth between mania and depression, sometimes even in the same day. It's when those two emotions meet each other head on, where you have problems. It's like the weather, where a hot front meets a cold front, you're gonna get a thunderstorm. So when mania meets depression, you're bound to get some emotional thunder. It's not unusual, and only needs to be treated in extreme cases. They used to call that manic depression, or can't imagine Jimi Hendrix writing a song called Bipolar Disorder. Peggy Lee was spotted in the Chicago nightclub by Benny Goodman. He hired her. Then two years later, she left the van and went off with Benny King. That didn't work out, so she took up with Benny Goodman's guitarist, Dave Barber. Some of her best records were made with Dave's quartet, and this is one of them. Recorded in the late 40s for Capitol Records, a song written by Walter Donaldson, You're Driving Me Crazy. You, you're driving me crazy. What did I do? What did I do? My tears for you make everything hazy, clouding the skies of blue. How true were the friends who were near me to cheer me, believe me, they knew. Desert me when I needed you, oh you 
somebody crazy is the gaslighter. Patrick Hamilton wrote a play called Gaslight. In it, there's a murderous husband who tries to drive his fragile wife crazy as he searches for a hidden trove of her family jewels. It was a big hit movie in 1944, starring Charles Boyer and Ingrid Bergman. The title Gaslight refers to the way that he would dip the gaslights in the house for no apparent reason and make his wife think it was a delusion. When his wife would mention it, he would tell her that he didn't notice it and must be all in her head. Now the term has come to mean a very specific type of mental abuse. Like if you dim the lights in the room and someone says, Did you dim the lights in the room? And you say, What? I didn't dim any lights in any room. You could see how that you could see how that would drive somebody crazy. Maybe that's what happened to Bo Diddley, at least just right before he wrote this song. Here he is, Elias McDaniel, aka Bo Diddley. From the winner of 56 and crack it up.
was the late Bo Diddley and cracking up. One guy who was accused of cracking up was Jimmy Pearsall. He became a professional baseball player at 18, signing with the Boston Red Sox in 48. On May 24, 1952, just before the game against the Yankees, he got in a fistfight with Yankee infielder Billy Martin. After that, he scuffled with his teammate, Mickey McDermott. The final straw came when Jimmy Pearsall spanked the four-year-old son of his teammate, Vern Stevens, during a game in the Red Sox clubhouse. The four-year-old son tried to tweak his nose, and he poured lemonade down his shirt. You could see Jimmy's position. Boy, you need a spanking. There were a number of incidents like this, and he was sent down to the minor league. He got in a lot of trouble down in the minor leagues and served some time in the Westboro State Hospital. He was diagnosed with manic depression, but he still returned to baseball by the opening of the 53 season. And get this, he finished ninth in the voting for the MVP award. And the next year, he was the Sox's regular center fielder, taking over for Dom DiMaggio. He was traded to the Indians in 1960, and during the Memorial Day doubleheader, he was ejected in the first game for heckling umpire Larry Knapp. And after catching the final out of the second game, he spun around and threw the ball at the White Sox scoreboard. He was ejected from that game too. The incidents increased, and he was ordered to receive psychiatric treatment. He went over to the Mets in 63, and he was remembered for one incident. After hitting his 100th homer, he ran the bases backwards. Casey Stengel fired him two days later. What took two days to figure out? Jimmy Pearsall wrote his autobiography, and it was called Fear Strikes Out. It was made into a motion picture. Anthony Perkins from the movie Psycho played Jimmy Pearsall. That ought to be a clue he was a little crazy. Carl Malden played his overbearing father, a portrayal that Pearsall didn't like. For many years, Jimmy Pearsall did sports talk radio in Chicago. He wasn't a shock jock, but he may have had shock therapy. I'm fine. Was there anything wrong a moment ago? You're not holding anything back from me, are you, John? No, sir. You think another shock treatment might help? Not unless you strap me in a chair and throw the switch yourself all the way. I learned my lesson, believe me. Two things go together as well as country and western music and crazy people. Now let me explain. I mean, there's a number of country artists who have recorded songs about people incarcerated. We're going to play three of them during today's show. This first one was written by Aubrey Mayhew and the man who's singing it, Johnny Paycheck. Johnny was playing a talent contest by the age of nine. While he was in the service, he was court-martialed for hitting a superior officer. He spent a couple of years in military prison. He worked in the bands of some of the most famous country musicians, Porter Wagner, Ray Price, Farron Young. He was the baseball player for George Jones for a number of years. I'm sorry, bass player. I was still thinking about Jimmy Pearsall. In 1966, he hooked up with the aforementioned... <laughs> the aforementioned Aubrey Mohawk. <laughs> May Mayhew. May they started Little Darling Records, and this is one of the records they released. Afterwards, the label bottomed out, and so did Johnny. He was drinking heavily and living on the streets of Los Angeles. Six years later, he had a number one song with Take This Job and Shove It. But that's another story for another theme. Right now, here's Johnny Paycheck. And like me, you to recover in time. Turn out 
so well And I guess You know by now What it's like To live in hell I heard They brought you here Because you lost your mind But like me You recover In time What you went through Cause when you left me I went through it too This jacket They make us wear Is not so bad You'll find In time Why it was just Yesterday They let me Out to play In just one short year I've come so far Johnny Paycheck, and like me, you'll recover in time. We've talked about Annie Ross before, and we've actually played the instrumental that this next song is based on. A lot of people are unfamiliar with the way that Annie and other vocalese singers would take jazz solos and put words to them. Well, this is one of the most famous ones. 
Annie takes Wardell Gray's Twisted and adds some popular lyrics. You've heard this song covered by both Bette Midler and Joni Mitchell, but here's the original from a number of years before she joined Dave Lambert and John Hendricks and Lambert, Hendricks, and Ross, who were kind of the Crosby, Stills, and Nash of jazz. Here's Annie Ross and Twisted. That I was right out of my head The way he described it He said I'd be better dead than live I didn't listen to his jive I knew all along He was all wrong And I knew that he thought I was crazy but I'm not Oh no My analyst told me That I was right out of my head He said I'd need treatment But I'm not that easily led He said I was the type That was most inclined Went out of his sight Took me out of my mind And he thought I was nuts no more is our answer, but so no. They say as a child I appeared a little bit wild with all my crazy ideas. But I knew what was happening, I knew I was a genius. What's so strange if you know that you're a wizard of three? I knew that this was meant for me. I heard little children were supposed to sleep tight. That's why I drank a fifth of vodka one night. My parents got frantic, didn't know what to do. But I saw some crazy scenes before I came to. Now, do you think I was crazy? I may have been only three, but I was swinging. They all have today, Graham Bell. They all have today, Edison and also an Einstein. So why should I feel sorry if they just couldn't understand the reasoning and the logic that went on in my head? I had a brain, it was insane, so just let them laugh at me when I refused to ride on all those double-decker buses, all because there was no driver on the top. told me that I was right out of my head the way he described it. He said I'd be better dead than alive. I didn't listen to his jive. I knew all along he was all wrong and I knew that he thought I was crazy but I'm not. Oh no. My animal told me that I was right out of my head but I said dear doctor I think that it's you instead because I have got a thing that's unique and new. It proves that I'll have the last lap on you instead of one head <laughs> I got two and you know two heads are better than one that was Annie Ross along with Art Blakey on the drums and Twisted something else that's twisted is a piece of leftover dough that is put in an oven and salted I'm talking about pretzels but where do they come from? Well, in 610 AD, an Italian monk didn't want to waste the scraps of leftover dough. He rolled and twisted them in the shapes of his students, who folded their arms across their chest when praying. He baked the dough to a golden brown and called the finished product twisters, which translates in Italian to prezzolis, prediolis, which is Latin for little rewards. The little priola journeyed beyond French and Italian wine regions and hiked the Alps, made its way through Austria, crossed over into Germany and became what we know today, the pretzel. Then there's another theory. In the 1600s, a man named George Pretzel let the bread cook too long. His children who were hungry ate the hardened crust, salting it to give it flavor. These pretzels became popular in this neighborhood. 
It became a convenient way to hand out food to the poor. Those who gave judges pretzels away were considered particularly blessed. They were packed into coffins as a burial blessing. That's why you see so many pretzels in coffins. A number of paintings from this time showed the marriage knot as a pretzel, tying together two prominent families. The couple would wish upon one and bring it like a wishbone, then eat it to signify its unity. From George's humble pretzel is where we get the phrase, tying the knot. Whenever I hear the song twisted, I think of two things, Wardell Gray and pretzels. Once you get used to it, insanity can be the most normal thing in the world, you know? This is Theme Time Radio Hour. We're talking about insanity, lunacy, nuttiness, craziness, insane, and pretzels. Here's a song about a guy going crazy, written by Doc Thomas and Mort Schumann. Andrew and Ken Tibbs make up half the Tibbs brothers on this record. The other two performing harmony vocals are Doc and Mort. Doc Thomas thought that Andrew Tibbs was one of the best blues singers he ever heard. Doc said, Tibbs was small and thin and had an innocent and angelic face that was marred by a knife scar that ran down his entire cheek. Looked like a choir boy gone bad. The combination of good and evil in his looks and the bending quiver in his voice drove the girls crazy. Here's Andrew, along with his brother Ken, Doc and Mort helping out the Tibbs brothers. I'm going crazy.
That was the Tibbs Brothers, I'm Going Crazy. If you were listening last week, you heard us play The Mighty Sparrow. We've told you before, our calypso is kind of like a musical commentary on the daily goings-on. This song is no exception. George P. Matesky terrorized New York City for 16 years during the 40s and 50s. He was known as the Mad Bomber. Here's the mighty sparrow, the Mad Bomber. You might have heard of the tragedy that took place in New York City. You might have heard of the tragedy that took place in New York City. Everybody was in a fright. They couldn't rest in peace whether day or night. Time bombs were set from place to place. You should be there to see cold sweat in people's face. Look here, look there, look everywhere by the papers and get the talk. This crazy madman really ain't care putting bombs all over New York. So the FBI try every trick in the book, walking with machine gun. When they hold the guy and they thought was a crook, was a madman having some fun. George B. Matisky left his first bomb at the Con Ed building over on West 64th Street. It was in a wooden toolbox with a note that said, Con Edison Crooks, this is for you. The bomb never went off. The police thought the fact that he left the note means that he never meant that one to go off. A second one was found a few blocks away, almost a year later. He cut letters out of a newspaper and wrote a note threatening Con Ed, the police, and others. On March 29, 1950, ten years after the first bomb was found, a third unexploded bomb was discovered. Finally one exploded. This was in a phone booth outside the New York Public Library. Then another one exploded at Grand Central. Between 1950 and 57, the Mad Bomber planted 31 bombs. 22 of them exploded. 15 people were injured, but no one was killed. He targeted Grand Central, Penn Station, Radio City, the Library, Port Authority, the RCA Building, and movie theaters. They finally found him. They went to talk to him at his home in Waterbury, Connecticut. On January 21st, 1957, he answered in his pajamas. He said he knew why they were there and took the police to his bomb factory. He then changed into his suit and went to jail. If you're wondering why he started bombing Con Ed, it was because he said they caused his tuberculosis when he worked for them. He was found incompetent to stand trial and was held at Bellevue's psychiatric wing. He died peacefully in 1994 at the age of 90. So look here, look there, look everywhere by the papers and get it off. This crazy madman really ain't care putting bombs all over New York. The FBI try every trick in the book, they walk in with machine gun. When they snatch the guy and they thought was a crook, was a madman having some fun. That was the mighty Sparrow, the Mad Bomber. Here on Theme Time Radio Hour, Little Walter sings about being a crazy mixed-up kid in our next song, but he was 28 years old when he recorded it. Walter basically reinvented the harmonica. When he was growing up, he was obsessed with the Louis Jordan records and would practice playing Louis' saxophone solos on his harmonica. He moved to Chicago in 1946, hooking up with Muddy Waters two years later. The two of them made musical history together. Sadly, Walter had a vicious temper and a thirst for liquor. He was involved in a street fight and died from its after effects. He was only 37 years old. He was definitely a man living in a crazy mixed up world. Here's little Walter.
famous asylums was St. Mary's in Bethlehem, also known as the Bethlehem Royal Hospital, or perhaps most famously by its nickname, Bedlam. It was founded in 1247 and began accepting mentally ill patients in 1403. There wasn't much treatment to speak of, mostly restrainment. The noise inside was deafening. The hospital quickly became infamous for its poor conditions. Cesspools were filled and overflowing. Patients were chained to the floor and the walls. People were given admission to the mental wing of the hospital. They were given long sticks to poke the patients. That's where the phrases, poke you in the eye with a stick, and I wouldn't touch you with a 10-foot pole, come from. The nickname Bedlam became synonymous not only with madhouses in general, but with the state of madness itself. Fortunately, conditions became a little bit better by the time Donna Washington sang this next song. About dressing in the latest style, walking down Broadway wearing nothing but a smile, seeing all kinds of little men, although they're never there, tried to push the A-train, put whiskey in my hair. I'm a girl you can't excuse. Last night I was five feet tall. Today I'm eight foot ten. Every time I fall downstairs, I float right back up again. Donna Washington, leaving her mind behind. Blow top blues. I'm 
styles Now I'm walking down Broadway Wearing nothing but a smile I see all kinds of little men Although they're never there I tried to push the A train And poured whiskey in my hair I'm a girl you can't excuse I've got those blowjob blues night I was five feet tall today I'm eight feet ten and every time I fall downstairs I float right up again when someone turned the lights on me it like to drove me blind I woke up in Bellevue but I left my mind behind I'm a gal who blew a fuse I've got those blowjob blues That was Dinah Washington and Blow Top Blues, written by jazz critic Leonard Feather. Dinah talks about waking up in Bellevue. Let me tell you a little bit about that place. Originally, it was built to take care of the impoverished in 18th century New York. The building was ready for occupancy in 1736. Many medical achievements were pioneered at Bellevue. Among them, the first maternity ward, which was established in 1799. Bellevue had the first ambulance service that was linked to a hospital. They had the first children's clinic in 1878. They established a dedicated pavilion for the clinically insane. They were the first to open a pavilion for alcoholics. They were the first to treat tuberculosis. And in 1962, they had the first ICU. Every year, they treat over 27,000 patients. They also handle over 89,000 emergency service visits, as well as 300,000 outpatient visits. And of course, it was a favorite threat of Ralph Crampton's. I won't be gone long, killer. I call you killer, cause you slay me. And I'm calling Bellevue, cause you're nuts! You know what? I'm looking at the clock, and we got too much madness and not enough time. I hope the powers that be won't get mad, or we're gonna run a little long this week. Well, I promise you three country singers who would sing about going around the band. Well, here's another one. This was from 1971 on the RCA Victor label, and it's sung by the Thin Man from West Plains. Well, it never turned out to be a giant song, but it was an important song for Porter Wagner, who wrote it after a 1966 stay in a mental institution. Porter said, My doctor felt like I needed to be there. I went off the beaten track for a bit. It didn't mean I had to be crazy to be admitted just to make it that I didn't go crazy, get my mind leveled out, and I never had that problem again. He came out feeling better and with a song. The Rubber Room, a photo right now. In a building tall With a stone wall around there's a rubber room When a man sees things and hears sounds It's not there he's headed for The rubber room Illusions in a twisted mind To save from self 
destruction It's the rubber room Where a man can run into the wall Till his strength makes him fall and lie still And wait for help In the rubber room From his blurry vision of doom A cycle In the rubber room The man in the room right next to mine Screams a woman's name Hits the wall in vain He's in the rubber room I hear footsteps pounding on the floor God, I hope they don't stop at my door Now they've come to get me, but they find I'm a-screaming pretty words, trying to make them rhyme I'm in the rubber room That was Porter Wagner. You know what's interesting about Porter? He wore the great nudie suits, and he went the extra step. He had the letters H and I in the lining of his jacket in fatal letters. So when people would come up to him and want to take a picture, he'd throw open his jacket so it would say hi. Porter Wagner, man was always thinking. You hear voices? Yes. The man on TV. Does he talk to you often? Every time I turn on TV. In ancient societies, mental illness was considered demonic possession and it was treated via exorcism. Another treatment or cure was trepanation. Believe it or not, this is drilling holes in the skull. Trepan skulls, dating back 10,000 years, have been found with multiple holes, suggesting that physical recovery had a better rate than you might have thought. Then again, maybe they were just ancient bowling balls. Hippocrates, the father of medicine, attributed mental illness to the imbalance of their humors, bodily fluids, blood, bile, water, and phlegm. The early Christians returned mental illness to spiritualism because they said it was caused by a disturbed spirit as a punishment for sin. Back to exorcism again. Islam also treated it differently. There's a verse in the Quran that says, Do not give your property, which God has signed you, to manage to the insane, but feed and clothe the insane with his property and tell splendid words to him. This led to the establishment of Islamic mental hospitals as early as the 8th century. Nowadays, we have Dr. Phil. There was a famous song in the 60s. It's called, They're Coming to Take Me Away, Ha Ha. Coming to take me away, ha ha. They're coming to take me away, ho ho, hee hee, ha ha. To the funny farm where life is beautiful all the time. And I'll be happy to see those nice young men in their clean white coats. And they're coming to take me away. It was by a guy named Napoleon the 14th. 
His name was actually Jerry Samuels, and his story is pretty interesting. But I want to tell you somebody else's story, because everyone knows that song, and they might not know this one. This one's from 1947 by a woman named Beatrice Kay. She's singing along with Mitchell Ayers and his orchestra. It was on the Columbia label, and the B-side was Mention My Name in Sheboygan. We're going to play that on an all-Sheboygan show. Here she is, Beatrice Kay, and a song that's probably the forerunner of the coming to take me away, ha-ha. Hooray, hooray, I'm going away. Here's Beatrice Kay. <laughs> Christmas packet, cozy and warm in a cute straight jacket. Hooray, hooray, I'm going away, and I'll bet you're wondering where. Well, I just heard from Napoleon B. He wants to have a little talk with me. Hooray, hooray, I'm going away with the man in the little white coat. Hooray, hooray, I'm going away with the man in the little white coat. I'm all dressed up in a brand new bonnet, ribbon of red and a birdcage on it. I'm only a bird in a gilded cage. It's the place that I call home. The window's large with the nicest view. The bars are pink and all the locks are blue. Hooray, hooray, I'm going away with the man in the little white coat. That was Beatrice K. Hooray, hooray, I'm going away. One guy who knew a lot about being inside a mental institution was Ken Kesey. He was born in 1935 in the Hunter, Colorado, but soon moved to Oregon. Graduated from college there in 1957 and earned a little extra money by doing drug testing. This was in the late 50s, and he was gobbling down LSD, mescaline, and psilocybin. This will become important later. Hold on to this information. He still needed to earn more money, so he got a job as a night attendant on the psychiatric ward of a hospital. By watching the patients there, he became convinced that they were locked into a system that was anything but therapeutic. 
These experiences became the raw material for one flew over the cuckoo's nest. It was published in 1962 and was enthusiastically reviewed. The stage and screen rights were acquired by Kirk Douglas. Kirk played the lead on Broadway, but the movie wouldn't come out for another 12 years. And by that time, Kirk's son was producing it and the lead role went to Jack Nicholson, who tore up the screen. While Ken Kesey didn't sit still though, he was working on another book and took a bunch of friends of his, called them the Merry Panksters, and put them on an international harvested bus painted in wild colors. It was wired for sound and driven by Neil Cassidy, whom you might know as Dean Moriarty of Jack Kerouac's On the Road. They drove from La Honda, California to New York and back. Once they were back in California, they started the acid tests. These were parties with music, strobe lights, and Kool-Aid laced with LSD. I told you that information would be important. These were wild parties and the start of the psychedelic scene. As a matter of fact, the Grateful Dead were the house band. Well, this was before they were known as the Grateful Dead. Kizzy kept writing and did many other things. He raised cattle and sheep, he grew blueberries, he even coached wrestling at several local schools. He finally succumbed to liver cancer on November 10th, 2001. Ken Kizzy, a psychedelic pioneer of the insane. Well, a man can't tamper with a mind and live in a mental hospital and subject himself to all kinds of tests and expect to come out of it sane? John is a catatonic schizophrenic. What a tragedy. Here's a wild record with a surprising person at the helm. Now I'm Napoleon at Waterloo. I think I'll cut some paper dolls for you. I'm a big tomcat chasing Mickey Mouse. It's fun to be living in the crazy house. Fun, fun, fun. Yes, it is now fun. him in the eye there's a horse on my neck oh no it's a louse it's fun to be living in the crazy house fun 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 yes fun 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 i ain't jiving you fun 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 yes now fun to be living in the crazy house i'm gonna swim on down to chinatown and lock myself in jail my pants on a rusty nail I see a monkey sauerkraut that has Julius Caesar with his shirt tail out I'm the king of science without a single doubt it's fun to be living in the crazy house Like a rat eating Limburger cheese. Woo! I see a monkey eating sauerkraut. There's Julius Caesar with the shirt tail out. I'm the king of Siam without a single doubt. It's fun to be living in the crazy. You can have a ball in the crazy house. 
That was Red Fox and Crazy House here on Theme Time Radio Hour. Here's a man that some call the William Faulkner of jazz. Now I got to tell you, I've heard this guy play since the 60s, and I've never heard anybody call him the William Faulkner of jazz. But there it is in a book. I mean, somebody just wrote that. I can't imagine anyone calling him the William Faulkner of jazz. I mean, that'd be like calling Garnett Mims the Gabriel Garcia Marquez of soul music. It's just not done. I'm getting excited over nothing. Let me just play the record. By the way, I consider William Faulkner to be the Mose Allison of literature. Here they are, together again. Mose Allison and William Faulkner singing the Percy Mayfield song, Lost Mind. If you would be so kind to help me find my mind, I want to thank you in advance. Know this before you start. My soul's been torn apart. I lost my mind in a wild romance. My future is my past. This memory will last. I'll live to love the days gone by. Each day that come and go is like the one before. My mind's lost till the day I die. Words would fail me if I tried to describe her. Though I know she's not all she should have been She was the devil with the face of an angel She was sweet and cruel, cruel and sweet as homemade sin If you would be so kind to help me find my mind I want to thank you in advance Know this before you start My soul's been torn apart I lost my mind in a wild romance Thank you in advance. Know this before you start. 
years before you start My soul's been torn apart I lost my mind in a wild romance I lost my mind in a wild romance That was Mose Allison in Lost Mind here in our Lost Mind version of Theme Time Radio Hour. One way to lose your mind is from Alzheimer's disease. It's a progressive neurodegenerative disease. It's named after a German doctor named Dr. Relois Alzheimer. In 1906, Dr. Alzheimer noticed the changes in a woman's brain tissue. She had died of an unusual mental illness. Further research found more about this condition and we're still learning today. They say the three genes have been discovered that cause early onset of Alzheimer's. Symptoms include memory loss, language deterioration, impairability to mentally manipulate visual information, memory loss, poor judgment, confusion, memory loss, restlessness, mood swings, and memory loss. We got time for just two more, and here's the third in our trilogy of demented country songs. This was written by Leon Payne. He's the man who wrote Lost Highway, and I love you because he wrote a number of famous songs. This one was inspired by Charles Whitman's 1966 sniper attack at the University of Texas. That's a whole story unto itself, and you should look that up. Suffice to say, it was horrifying, and it affected Leon Payne greatly. According to rumor, no one was allowed to record this song until after Leon passed away. Eddie Noack was the first to record it, but I've always enjoyed this version, though enjoys an odd word to use, and you'll get that when you hear the song. This version came out on the GRC label by a man named Jack Cattell, and I know nothing else about him. My copy of this record has the same thing on both sides. That's confidence in a song. Here's Jack Cattell and a song that shares the name of an Alfred Hitchcock movie that stars the man who played Jimmy Pearsall in Fear Strikes Out. You see how the whole show fits together, folks? Here's Psycho. Can Mary fry some fish, mama? I'm as hungry as can be. Oh, Lordy, how I wish, mama, that you could keep the baby quiet, cause my head is killing me. I saw my ex again last night, mama. She was at the dance at Miller's store She was with that Jackie White Mama, I killed them both And they're buried under Jenkins' sycamore You think I'm psycho, don't you, Mama? Mama, pour me a cup You think I'm psycho, don't you, Mama? You'd better let him lock me up Don't hand me Johnny's pup, Mama Cause I might squeeze him too tight I'm having crazy dreams again, Mama So let me tell you about last night I woke up in Johnny's room, 
mama standing right there by his bed with my hands around his throat mama wishing both of us were dead you think i'm psycho don't you mama I just killed Johnny's pup You think I'm psycho, don't you, Mom? You'd better let him lock me up You know that little girl next door, Mama I believe her name was Betty Clark Oh, don't tell me that she's dead I just saw her in the parlor We were sitting on a bench, mama Thinking up a game to play Seems I was holding a wrench, mama And then my mind just walked away You think I'm psycho, don't you, mama? Didn't mean to break your cup You think I'm psycho, don't you, Mama? Oh, Mama, why don't you get up? That was Jack Cattell and Psycho. I didn't mean to break your cup. This is Theme Time Radio Hour, covering breakdowns, lads, and smile. Frances Farmer was born in 1913 in Seattle, Washington. Her mother was named Lillian. Lillian made national news during World War I by crossing a Rhode Island red, a white leghorn, and an Andalusian blue to create a red, white, and blue chicken, which she thought should replace the eagle as the national emblem. When Frances was in West Seattle High School, she won a $100 prize from Scholastic Magazine for an essay she wrote. That essay was called, God Dies. The essay caused a national uproar. Frances was used as an example of what was wrong with America's youth. One Baptist minister said, if the young people of this country are going to hell, Frances Farmer is surely leading in there. She remained controversial. In March of 1935, she won a trip to the Soviet Union by selling subscriptions for the Voice of Action, a leftist newspaper. She got a round-trip bus ticket to New York and passes by steamer to Moscow. Again, there was national outcry, but this time her mother even turned against her, claiming that she'd been corrupted by her school teachers. When she got back from Russia, there was no point in going back home, so she cashed in her return ticket to Seattle and stayed in New York. A few weeks later, Paramount Pictures gave her a studio contract. She made several movies and had a year-long marriage to Leif Erikson. That's the actor. She developed a reputation of being difficult, but she was a good actress, getting rave reviews on Broadway and Clifford Odette's Golden Boy. She returned to motion pictures, started drinking heavily, and became dependent on amphetamines. On the set of one of her movies, she slapped a studio hairdresser for making advances towards her and broke her jaw. She was arrested for assault. When she finally showed up in court, she had bloodshot eyes. She looked drunk and disheveled. She argued with the judge, and she got 180 days in jail. 
She had come in from the movie set where she'd been playing a beat-up character who was drunk and disheveled. She wasn't allowed to call her lawyer, and she went wild. She knocked a policeman to the floor for also making advances, bruised another one for tearing off her blouse, and socked a matron, screaming as she was being carried out of the courtroom, have you ever had a broken heart? She spent one day in jail and then was sent to the mental institution where she would spend the next seven years. She was diagnosed as being manic depressive, a split personality, schizophrenic with paranoid delusions. She received insulin shock. That's where they give you overdoses of insulin to introduce convulsions in coma and the belief that that could jumpstart the brain into normal functioning. She received multiple shock therapy treatments, two or three of them a week for three months. When she was released, she was lost, and soon after that she was arrested again, this time for vagrancy. Finally, in 1950, she was released. She got a job in a laundry before embarking on a brief comeback attempt, including a couple of appearances on the Ed Sullivan Show. She relocated to Indianapolis, where she would stay the rest of her life. Her behavior never totally stabilized. She was arrested twice more for drunk driving, and finally passed away on August 1st, 1970. Kobe wrote a song about her called Francis Farmer will have your revenge on Seattle. She'll come back as fire to burn all the liars and leave a blanket of ash on the ground. Yes, I'm relieving now that you're leaving Sarah
Francis Palmer will have her revenge on Seattle. Farewell, Francis. Farewell, Kurt. Time flies when you're talking crazy, and we gotta get out of here. But I'm gonna leave you with the words of the man who is the voice of the barroom, poet of the gutter, and the Shakespeare of the alleyway. Here's a poem by Charles Bukowski, and it's called Some People. Some people never go crazy. Me, sometimes I'll lie down behind the couch for three or four days. They'll find me there. It's cherub, they'll say. And they pour wine down my throat, rub my chest, sprinkle me with oils. Then I'll rise with a roar, rant and rage, curse them and the universe as I send them scattering over the lawn. I'll feel much better, sit down to toast and eggs, hum a little tune, suddenly become as lovable as a pink overfed whale. Some people never go crazy. What truly horrible lives they must lead. Charles Bukowski, voice of the madman. Remember, in the words of Frederick Nietzsche, madness is rare in individuals, but in groups, parties, nations, and ages, it is the rule. We'll be back again next week. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to Theme Time Radio Hour with your host, Bob Dylan. Produced by Eddie Gorodetsky and the associate producer is Anita Fitzgerald. Continuity is by Eats Martin and the editor is Damian Rodriguez. The supervising editor is Rob McComber. The research team is Ian Lapson and Bernie Bernstein with additional research courtesy of Lynn Sheridan, April Hayes, Callie Glavin, Terrence Michael, Sean Patrick, and Matthew Meltzer. Robert Bauer was the librarian and the production coordinator was Debbie Sweeney. Special thanks go out to Randy Azradi, Coco Shinomiya, Simpson's Diner, and Lee Abrams. Tex Carbone was our director of studio operations. Recorded in Studio B of the historic Abernathy building, crown jewel of the city's skyline. It's a great water park production in association with Big Red Tree. This is your announcer, Pierre Mancini speaking. Join us again next week when the subject is happy. Happy.